0: So in this series, uh, we've started, we're looking at the initial chapters of the book of Acts, this this book that talks about the events that take place right after the Gospels are done, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And specifically, what we're honing in on the bold Christian church, how it got started, what it looked like, and taking, taking things from them, taking what happened to them and what they were described as, and, and applying it to ourselves, sometimes maybe remembering and reapplying it to ourselves, because maybe we've forgotten it. And we started things last week with, with Pastor Italiano preaching on the ascension, which I believe is one of the most important, the most critical events in, the Christian, in, in Christianity in general, but often also one of the most overlooked and forgotten events. And the reason I say that is because if you ask the average Christian what the, what the main events uh, of religion, of, of Christianity is, you'll probably get someone to say, okay, thinking in terms of the New Testament, Jesus' uh, birth, Christmas, okay, so his his incarnation into the world, his perfect life, then they'd say, well, his death on Good Friday, and then his resurrection on Easter Sunday, right? His life, his death, his resurrection. And I would say, yeah, I'll say amen to that. You're, you're not wrong. But if that's all, it kind of leaves out this this big question, okay, so that's all that Jesus did, but then what, what's next? And what's next is really what the ascension is. What's next? What's your mission? What's your purpose? That's what the ascension is. That's what the ascension was. That's why we started with the ascension. That's really why Luke starts with the ascension because that is the purpose. That is the mission. That is the goal for the church and not just the church at large but the church you, individual person. This is the ascension is your purpose personal mission as a follower of Jesus. And if we forget, if we overlook the ascension, then what happens is we forget and we overlook our own personal mission as a redeemed child of God. And what I mean by that is what I often find is if I, if I were to ask the average Christian, if I were to ask the average Christian uh, to articulate the gospel and Christianity and what it means for them, I would probably get someone to say, well, uh, it's about Jesus who lived for me and who died for me and who rose for me, that that I know that I'm loved by God, I'm forgiven by God, I'm saved by God. uh, and, And I know that because Jesus died and rose, that means that when I die, I'm going to rise and be with God forever in heaven. And again, I would say, that's great. And I, I agree. That, that, that's the gospel truths that you articulated to me. That's it. Absolutely. But if I were to ask that person, so, so what's next then? I found that I get some kind of confused looks. <laughs> some people saying, what, what do you mean what's next? And, and I say, well, well, I, I agree with everything that you just said, but you're not dead. <laughs> Like, we're, we're talking, we're, we're face-to-face, we're, you're still living, you're still breathing right here. So, you're still running your race, as the New Testament writer Paul would say. So, if that's true, then what are you doing? Like, I, I, as a Christian, as a blood-bought, redeemed child of God, what, what's your purpose, what's your mission? And that's a question that really pretty much everybody has asked themselves at one point or time in their life in one way or another. What, what's my goal? What's my purpose? What's my mission? And it's surprising, really, how many blood-bought, redeemed child of, children of God, Christians, how many Christians would, would give an answer that doesn't flow from the gospel that they know and articulate so well. So many Christians would say, well, I know those gospel truths. I know what God has done for me, so what's my, my purpose? Well, I, I, I mean, I guess I'm focusing this life then on just living a good life. Uh, I want to find a, a good spouse to marry. I want to have a nice family, settle down in a nice place. I'd like to have some success in my life, some career success. I make some money enough that I, I at least I don't have to worry about money and And, you know, I'd like to pursue some things in my life that that would make me happy. I'd like to pursue some desires in my life. and, And all the while, like, I'd like to be comfortable doing it. And it's amazing, again, how many Christians would nod their head in agreement with that. But my question is, how is that goal, that purpose, that mission for your life in any way different from that which the world would say their goal is? How is that goal different from the world which you were called out of? And the answer is, it's, it's, it's no different. It's no different. So it begs the question, what is your purpose? Right? You, you redeemed child of God, what, what is your mission in life? And that's what the ascension last week answered. That's the answer that Jesus gives us right before he leaves this world. Jesus, what, what, what the Ascension does, among many things that the, the Ascension teaches us, what the Ascension does is Jesus takes all those gospel truths that we know so well. He takes his forgiveness. He takes his grace. He takes his mercy. He takes All of the things that he's done, his substitutionary death on your behalf, he takes all of that and says, here's the keys to my kingdom, followers. Here you go. I'm giving it into your hands now. This is your job. I'm out. And we know this is true because he leaves. (laughs) like Literally, physically, he says, I'm out. I'm leaving. I'm ascending. It's in your hands now. In fact, if you were with us in our Bible study groups last week on Zoom, this is one of the verses that we talked about. He, he says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That is your mission. That is your purpose. The purpose that Jesus himself has given you as his follower, as his disciple. The church, that is your purpose. And the natural temptation for the church is to be prone to inactivity and is to be be unproductive in that mission because we forget that mission and we start to turn inward. And we start to turn towards a selfish, a worldly mission, a worldly purpose in life and we forget God's mission which is why it's so helpful for us to remember what this book that we're studying is even called. It's, it's called the Acts of the Apostles. Not the hanging out with the apostles, not the, not the sitting around and waiting of the apostles. No, this is called the Acts of the Apostles. Jesus said, here is my mission for you. Now go, do it, get going. I'm giving you this job and, and you have to look at that and you, you first say, that is incredibly humbling. That's a, that's an inc- an incredible responsibility, a, an amazing privilege. But as soon as you start to apply it, you will be my witnesses. Me? I? You, you, want, you want me to go to that? And that's when it starts to get tricky, right? Ah, I don't know about that. I'm maybe not so qualified for that. I'm not really good with words. Uh, pastor... Hey, aren't you supposed to be preaching on Pentecost, Pastor? (laughs) Like, what does this have to do with Pentecost? Why are you you talking about Ascension? It has everything to do with Pentecost. It has absolutely everything to do with Pentecost because it's really hard to preach on Pentecost without going back to the Ascension and touching on it. Because what, what, what Pentecost shows us is what the Ascension promised. The Ascension promised... Here's here's your mission, but I'm not leaving you alone. Jesus said, yes, I I am leaving, but I'm not saying, okay, I'm out. You're on your own. No, he he said, hang around in Jerusalem for about 10 more days because I'm going to send you something. I'm going to send you some help. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And and, and among the many things that is way too much for us to preach on in one sermon and one church service that Pentecost teaches us, What Pentecost shows us, what we're going to dive into, is how you and I can be bold. How this church could be bold. And the answer is the Holy Spirit. How in the world can can this church, uh, starting around 120 people, explode into this church that in just a couple centuries it becomes the predominant religion of the Roman Empire. How can you and I, as, as much as we feel timid and afraid and ill-equipped, possibly carry out this, this daunting mission that Jesus gave us, to, to go to your friends and your community and your neighbors and the people that are different than you and the world. How can we do that? Pentecost shows us the Holy Spirit. That's how you and I can be bold. That's, that's the answer to this whole series. It's, it's not by yourself. It's the Holy Spirit. And we're going to dive in and see that. So if you're following along, uh, if you're listening, or if you've got a paper Bible or some sort of electronic device and you want to open up, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2. And we're going to start at the first verse. Verse 1, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own language. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, What does this mean? So the miracle that happens, Jesus strategically waits for the festival of Pentecost, 10 days after his ascension. And it was a strategy on his part, among many other things, because this was one of the the huge festivals that Jews would show up to Jerusalem to celebrate. Jerusalem would be inundated, flooded with thousands of Jews, but not just local Jews, but But Jews from all over that Mediterranean world, which meant Jews from different places, different cultures, with different native languages, all gathered together for this festival. And and this is when Jesus leverages this opportunity. He sends his spirit in a miraculous outpouring so that his followers just start speaking in all of these languages that match up with all of these people from all over the place. And and it's incredible, right? like, like imagine if, if you woke up tomorrow morning and you went to speak, and what comes out is fluent Spanish, fluent Mandarin, perfect Italian with the accents and everything, right? Like, like you are just speaking this perfect language that you have never spent a day in your life ever before studying. And, And that's what's coming out. This is an incredible miracle. And the the people, the people are amazed. They they pick up on this. They're like, wait, these are just regular local Galileans. How in the world did they, they shouldn't know this language. How did they find, and and they're all, it was amazing. But what was amazing wasn't just that they were speaking this other language, but it was what they were speaking in that language. Did, Did you catch that? That's what was amazing. Verse 11 we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. The wonders of God. Literally in the Greek, it's the mega things of God, right? Like the, the, the mega, the mighty, the great things of God. Well, what are the great things of God? I, how God saved us, right? It's, it's the whole it's the whole plan of salvation, everything that God did through, through the God-man Jesus Christ to save us. That's what they're, they're, they have this joyful obsession with everything that God has done. You could say they have a joyful obsession with the gospel, the good news of salvation. The, these guys are, are literally on fire <laughs> for, for the message. They're, they're sharing it in all these different languages and, and people are just amazed at what's going on and, and, and also slightly confused, scratching their heads. How how do you explain this? What in the world is going on? And the explanation. The explanation, the rational conclusion that slightly joking that they come to, found in verse 13, some however made fun of them and said, They have had too much wine. (laughs) There's your explanation. How do you explain everything that's going on? They're drunk. They're drunk. These guys have just had too much water. They're, they're drunk. That's how we explain it. And every time I've looked at Pentecost, I just kind of saw this, I'd laugh to myself, and I'd move right on to Peter's explanation right after this. But it wasn't until this time that, that it kind of hit me. Why would they say they must be drunk? Why would that be the logical, rational conclusion that some of them came up with? And to answer that, you got to ask yourself, so what is a drunk person like? I know it's kind of a, kind of a weird thing, but, but just go with me on this. I think to put it simply, generically, a, a drunk person is generically happy. It's a, it's a dumb happy, but it's a, it's a happy caused by alcohol. It's a happiness caused by uh, the effects of alcohol on the body alcohol is a depressant, but that doesn't mean it makes you depressed, right? Uh, not not depressed in the way we usually talk about it. No, it actually, w- if you Google this, this is actually one of the, the most common questions about this. It's like, why is alcohol called a depressant if it makes me happy? I, I kid you not. That was a huge question that, that I saw come up. It, it's, it inhibits part of your brain, right? It, it slows you down, slows your nervous system down, so you don't think clearly. So you just kind of, ooh, right? And is it, is, there's a happiness, right, caused by this dumbness of your mind. And so if you, if you put that kind of idea in your mind, you'd have to say, so what, what did they see in the followers at Pentecost? Well, they must have seen some sort of joyful happiness, this fearlessness, this, this lack of inhibition to talk about all these things that God has done, right? Like, like sometimes you and I, we, we, we kind of still talk this way. Like if, if someone is, is just happy for no apparent reason, they seem way too joyful about something, something that maybe they shouldn't be joyful or we can't figure it out. Sometimes we'll joke and sometimes we'll not joke. Are you drunk? <laughs> Do, have you had, are you drunk right now? And that's what you see happening. These people, these followers of Jesus that, that looked drunk to people because they, were, they had this, this joyful inhibition, this joyful lack of inhibitions when it came to the gospel. In fact, this is actually one of the reasons why, why people say Paul might have been picking up on this point in Ephesians chapter 5. Here's what he says. He says in, in a whole other letter, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Some say like, He's kind of talking about this, this whole point. Don't get drunk on wine. That leads to a whole bunch of other things. No, instead, get drunk on the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. And that's what you see. Those people, the way they were acting, how do you explain it? They weren't drunk. They were drunk with the Spirit. They were filled up with the Holy Spirit. And they were passionate, Obsessed with the wonders, the mega, the great things that God was doing, that they just had this fearlessness to tell people, this boldness with the Spirit. And and the question then becomes, is that what people would describe you as? (laughs) The church as? Our church asks, would, would people describe your witness in that way with this, this joyful obsession with the good news, this fearless lack of inhibition to talk about the great things of God? Now, I know you might be quick to say, well, apples and oranges, isn't it? I mean they had the outpouring of the Spirit, tongues of fire, different languages. I, I don't have that same, God hasn't given me that same outpouring of the Spirit. And I'd say, okay, but were you baptized? Because at your baptism, the Spirit was certainly poured out on you. And are you a Christian? Are, are, you, are you someone who believes? Do you have faith in Jesus? Because if you do, that's only possible through the Spirit. You do have the Spirit in you. So, So let's just be real. What is getting in the way of our boldness, of us carrying out this mission that God has given us? What is getting in the way of us sharing and talking about the great things of God to other people? And this is a question that we're going to be exploring in our Zoom groups later on this week. And I have a feeling if we just started to come up with a list, it would be quite extensive. I, I, what if I don't know what to say? And, and, you know, what if I get asked a question and I feel dumb because I don't know how to answer it? And, and, and what if the person is aggressive and, and goes on the offensive and, and you know... <sighs> I'm a little bit afraid. I'm kind of timid, and and you know, I don't think I don't have the training like you do, Pastor. I I don't think I'm ready for that. And and you know, I'm I'm kind of a I'm I'm pretty flawed. I'm pretty imperfect. I'm a little rough around the edges. I I ain't no masterpiece. I I don't think God is going to really use me. I ain't witness material, Pastor. On and on and on, we could go with our excuses. But you know, the one thing, the one answer that silences all excuses the holy spirit Here's how Someone says well well pastor I you know I I'm imperfect I'm flawed uh I'm kind of hypocritical you know, I, I and I'll be the first to admit it I say one thing I do something else I, I and I ain't witness material and God would say yeah I know who do you think I gave my mission to? A bunch of perfect, qualified? No, I gave it to imperfect people, who imperfect apostles. That if you keep reading the book of Acts, you're going to see how imperfect. You're going to see how hypocritical they are. But they're lavished with God's grace. You say, "Well, well, I don't know. I'm, I'm timid. I'm, I'm a, I get afraid. I, I freak out." And and God would say, "Yep." which is exactly why I didn't leave this in your hands solely. I I gave you the Holy Spirit who goes with you, who gives you a spirit of power, and it's through his power that you do this work. And you may say, well, well, Pastor, God, I don't know that I can convince someone. I don't know that. What if I say something wrong? I don't think that I would be able to convince them to come to faith. And you know what God would say? You're right. Because it's not your job to convince someone. That's my job. That's that's a conver, conversion is not a manly thing. It's a spiritual thing. It's a God thing, and it's the Holy Spirit's thing, whom I give you. It's not your words. It's my words. And do you know the power of God's word? The The universe was spoken into existence by God's word. Dead bodies come back to life by the power of God's word. So when you speak God's word, I know it may sound like your voice, but make no mistake, it is God's word with the absolute power of God that you can be confident that in one way or another, it will absolutely have an effect and an impact because it's God's word. And and we could keep going on with excuses and seeing how the Holy Spirit is the answer, how the Holy Spirit silences that, but maybe we'll just summarize it in this way. When you think, I can't, remember instead, the Spirit can't. Because God has given you the Spirit. And He's been doing this for thousands of years. Billions of times over. So why would it be any different today in 2020? Now, if you're feeling convicted and guilty about your witness at a time like this, because certainly I was this week, as I reflected on my own excuses And you need to remember what it is that we're called to witness to. It's the great things of God. It's the wonders of God. It's the mega things of God. That's what we're called to witness to. And and what is that? It's that all your sins, it's the truth that all your flaws, all your imperfections in Christ are gone. All those excuses that you and I come up with, all the reasons that that we turn inward on ourselves and and we forget about God's mission and we do a mission of our own, that we, we turn towards a selfish mission, a selfish purpose, a selfish existence that cares more about my comfort than another person's soul. All of those sins has been completely taken care of, wrapped up in Jesus' life and death for you all your flaws, all your imperfections, all of that is gone. And, if, and, and you know what that means? Like if, that is the, if that is the truth that you and I have to witness, then what that means is your flaws and your imperfections and all, the, all those things that you think would make you unqualified are all the more reason for you and I to be bold in our witness to someone else. Because if if, if Jesus saved an imperfect, messed up guy like me, like you, and then he wants to use an imperfect, messed up guy like me, like you, into his kingdom, all the more reason to, to proclaim that loudly to an imperfect, messed up world that needs to know that they are loved by this God. And the best part about this None of this message rides on you. This, this message, this, this message of salvation, this message of forgiveness, this message of grace is not, it does not depend on you and your work. No, it's totally dependent on what Jesus already did. It's not due, it's done for you. And now you get to go and share it. That, that is the great news. It's not about how much you work It's about all of Jesus' work. It's not your blood, sweat, and tears. It's Jesus' literal blood for you. That's what's so great about this. And if that's the great gospel news that you and I believe and hold so firmly and dearly and love and cherish, then my question is, so what's next? What are you going to do with it? And I think the only logical and rational thing that you can do with a message called the gospel that literally means good news, I think the only logical and rational thing that you and I can do if we do truly believe that it is good news is share it. Share it and be witnesses. And the best part is you're not alone because God sent you his spirit to fill you up With a joy, with a joyful obsession with it, to give you a fearlessness, to give you a a witness without any inhibitions, to go tell other people what God has done, the great things, the wonders that God has done for them. That's your mission. You're qualified by Jesus' blood, you're equipped by His Spirit. Now go and carry it out. And let God, through you, bring about his kingdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a crazy mission. That you want me, us, to bring about your kingdom here? That you want us. Messed up as we are, and so prone to excuses and so prone to forget your message and carry out our will, you want us to go and tell people about the good news of salvation. Sometimes we think it would just have been so much easier if you would have just stayed and you would have just carried out this mission, but no, you had a plan all along, and we are so thankful for it so first remind us, remind us of that gospel goodness of of how you have washed away all of our excuses, all of our sins, all of our flaws. You, you've, you've dealt with that. The price has been paid in full it's taken care of. And then fill us up, as you said in your word, fill us up with a spirit that, that is drunk with you and passionate to share this message to a world that is dying, to people that we know in our own lives that don't know about you. Give us that spirit. Give us that boldness to be bold with you, reminding us that as we go, we're not alone. You're right there with us. Your spirit gives us power. Your spirit is the power that changes hearts. May we be able to do this. Your kingdom come. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.